Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. A lot to get to today. Nick Costos will join us from You Better You Bet for the entire hour. Costos, when you delve out bad betting advice, do you get some nasty messages? <laughs> nasty people want to come out? I'm not, I'm not saying you often give out bad advice, but they all can't be winners, right? And gamblers well, are probably yeah. pissed when they lose. Yeah, I don't. I, I wouldn't say I give out bad advice. All the advice I give out is pretty good. I can't control what happens on Sundays. You know, we talk about what what the market's showing us. You know, we 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 handicap the games, and then you know, crazy shit happens on a Sunday. Um, here's the deal that people don't understand, and like I don't. I actually had someone, um, a friend of mine, um, who kind of does something similar in the space, was talking to me this week and complaining about you know all the criticism that that people get that give picks out of the media. Here's what people don't understand, and like I I don't fucking care, because here's the thing, right? The best handicappers, the best handicappers, like of which I am not, and like I would never, like I'm not a professional better, and I don't purport to be one. I think that I am sharper than the average better by a mile, and I get great information because of the great guests that we have on You Better You Bet, and also because I've been in the sports media for a really long time. The best handicappers win like 57% of the time. Like that's the best handicappers win like 55% of the 57% of the time, especially in the National Football League, which is the hardest sport to handicap. All you hear people say, like pro pro betters, people that do this and been doing this for a long time, it's all they say is how sharp the NFL numbers are and how it's an impossible sport to beat, right? That's just kind of the fact. There's only 16 games. All the pro betters are betting college basketball right now, betting on like incarnate word games or like Akron last night was steamed to a ridiculous degree in college football and action. Like these are the, like this is what pro betters are, 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 are zeroing in on, are spots like that because bookies can't possibly put sharp lines up for like 9,000 college basketball games. But you can for an NFL game when there are only 16 of them during the week when there are no bye weeks and everyone knows everything about every player and everyone's really into it. So it's by far the sharpest sport, the sharpest number. It's very tough to beat. And I think a lot of people are new to the space and I think a lot of people are dumb. And I try and toe the line on you better, you better say this every night between being an asshole and being instructional because people are, are fucking pricks. But I also want to instruct people, right? And try and teach people, right? You, you, no one is going to go like nine and zero every week picking the NFL. Everyone's going to have bad weeks. It happens. You deal with it. If and I'll say this to anyone: like, if anyone, if I come on a show and I had a terrible week picking games in the NFL last week, I think it may have been my worst week ever. I just reached the point where I start laughing. If if anyone, and I'm not saying anyone will do this or anyone has threatened to do this, but like, if anyone wants to, you know, remove me from your fucking show and bring another someone else on to handicap games, and when that person loses, take that person off and then bring another person on. I'll talk to you again in six months, and that and that'll be really fun, and I'll be back on the show. And, and by but the way, do you, I don't get paid. I, 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 don't, I don't get paid to pick winners. I get paid because I'm fucking entertaining. You are entertaining. But do you read? Do you read your? Do you read your at replies? How nasty are they? Is my point because again, betters probably aren't the most thoughtful people when replying on Twitter after they lose a bet. Well, well, let's not let's not put betters under under this umbrella. I think it's just fucking moron people in general. They don't have to be betters. I think people are people are fucking ass clowns in general. They don't have to fucking bet on games to be pricks on social media. Um yeah, I look at them and then like I either mute them or I'll be like, "Hey, uh 
appreciate you you reaching out and tweeting. I got no time for this shit. I got people in my mentions, and, and Ross can probably speak to this more because he's fucking the self-promotion king, and I mean that as a compliment, um, with all his Twitter followers where, like, how I, I would guess, Ross, that you probably have a lot of people in your mentions that are just having conversations with themselves because you've muted them. I just, I got no time for this shit. It's like, fuck off, man. Like, no one put a fucking gun to your head and made you fucking take the pick that I said or someone else said. I, I, just, I just don't care. I just don't really give a shit. People want to get pissed. Get fucking pissed. I don't really care. God bless. Now, a, a couple thoughts on this. First of all, you are extremely entertaining. You're a star. I've told you that, number one. Number two, you're exactly right. The best professional gamblers are what, Nick? Between like 55 and 59% correct? Like, like if they the go 60%, one. you get a statue built for you. Like outside the Bellagio, if you go 60 like, It's possible to do that over the course of like one season. We see that in the Super Contest every year. But like, you can't, it, it is literally like mathematically impossible to do that over a long stretch of time. And then you've got these fucking dipshit morons on Twitter. But clip this out. You want to put something up there, put this up. Fucking these dipshit morons on Twitter that people expect like everyone like to go like 10 and 0 every week. It's like, you don't understand that this is mathematically impossible, you fucking idiot. And here's what, and a lot of the, the sport, the guys that work in the sports books say this, and I think it's such a great line. Here's what's great about this country. If you think you're a fucking expert, the books are open for business. Put your money where your mouth is. You put a bet yeah. down. You know what I, you know I got to do every single week? I got to make for Sports Illustrated. And this is not a complaint. It's just the nature of the beast. I have to do the same stuff for you know our employers as well. I got to give five picks a week in the NFL against the spread. I said, guys, can I, can I do totals? No. Has to be against the spread. That's what people want to bet on. There are weeks where like, I don't like five games. I don't want to give five picks, but I have to give five picks. I would love to give like two picks against the spread and three totals or not give five picks, but I got to give five picks every week. Do people understand how hard this is? Like, people are like, oh, it's so easy to pick a fucking winner. Well, if that's what you think, buddy, why don't you fucking go to the sports book and you fucking bet on the games and see how well, you that's, go, so, idiot, so, so there's clown-ass fucking there's, moron. <laughs> there's two things about it to me that are really funny. So, number one, like, these people that are criticizing me. So, I, I make picks as well. I have an Even Money podcast that I do on Wednesday on the Radio.com app. And on Sundays, I'm with Nick on You Better You Bet Sunday edition, 9 a.m. to noon. And the, the my favorite thing, okay, is like this past weekend, I was up seven units in the NFL. I had a great, I had a great game, seven units. The one game I got wrong was the Dolphins. After the Dolphins had come through for me against the spread the two prior weeks. And the crazy thing about it is, I very rarely get any social media feedback or mentions when I win or about the wins, right? You, you almost never hear from anybody. I did have somebody meant, you know, reply to me and say, good call on the Dolphins, Tucker, something like that. And that person it's always die. a dilemma. I, I, I want your opinion on this. I always debate between replying to that person or quote tweeting him and saying like imagine being the moron that tweets this when the guy was up seven units for the weekend but then it's like i don't want to give that person the time of day like i don't want to give them the gratification of doing that i don't want them to get attention and honestly nowadays i don't even know if that person's trolling me or not like 
Maybe they're just like, you know what? If I bust Ross's chops about the only one he got wrong, maybe he'll quote tweet me and I'll get oh, people they don't to know. see my, like, like, I really, like, I, I'm to the point now where what people, people reply to me, I don't know if it's one of those troll accounts or not, and they're just messing with me, number one. And number two, my wife always says, just be above it. Just don't, don't ever reply. So I very rarely reply, and I agree with her. But every once in a while, I like to just do a little jab in there. Your thoughts, gentlemen? Yeah, I think it's just like people are entitled fucking brats, right? I, I doubt that the person that sent you that tweet, Ross, knew that you won every other game that you picked. I think they they, they saw that. People get angry and like, it is a fucking, I don't know if this is a commentary on like if it's today's society or if this is just how people are in general, but everyone's always generally looking, I feel like, to blame someone else for their own shit. Like, yes. I didn't fucking, yes. no, look, look, like, I had what I would consider to be, and I've been betting on sports for 15 years, right? I would have what I would consider to be. I had a week in 2014 or 15. I'm not sure which week it was. When I picked um, late in the season, so there was a full 16-game slate, I went 0-5 in the Super Contest, and I went 11-5 picking games for the week. So every game I picked that I didn't have was one of my favorite 5-1 and all my favorite 5-lost. That one stands out. But then I look at this week. Guys, I went 6-2, and and this is the other funny thing. Like, I went 6-2 and picking college football games on Saturday, and I went 4-1 and picking NFL totals. So, like, if people actually, like, listen to the fucking show and not just, like, watch, like, the one video that they watch, if people, like, if you listen to the show and if you listen to the show on Sunday morning, like, I gave out a lot of winners. But, like, the... I had games on this weekend, guys, that weren't even fucking close. The 1 p.m. games for me where, like, it's like the, the Joker trailer with Joaquin Phoenix. It's like when he goes, I thought my life was a tragedy, and then I realized it was a comedy. By like 2.45, I was just laughing. What can you do when you take the Panthers? They get blown out. The Jaguars get blown out. The Dolphins get blown out. And the Dolphins are the only team that I bet on uh, that, that had like a chance to cover in the, in the early slate. And they lost by 17. The Texans get blown out. I had the Eagles on Sunday afternoon. Fucking disaster against the Patriots. Bears on Sunday night. Unbelievable disaster. And then the rotten cherry on top of the piece of shit Sunday was Phillip fucking Rivers, who needs to be old yeller uh, beyond the shotgun out back fucking for the Chiefs against the Chiefs in Mexico City on Monday night. So I had what I would consider to be one of the worst weeks ever picking games. I'm going to bounce back, though, because this is what happens. This is the kind of shit that happens here. And all these fucking people that want to come in and be like, oh, you fucking suck, this and that, nah, 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 nah. Okay, guy, you fucking bet fucking, you pick five games a week every week for the NFL season and see how you do. You post your fuck, that's my other favorite, favorite thing, post your record. How about this? Go fuck yourself. That's my record. Go fuck yourself. Social media is the pit of hell. People don't take to social media to say positive things. Generally speaking, I would guess 99 to 1 are negative takes on social media. It's a breeding ground for negativity. Just ask Sean Clifford. He's the Penn State quarterback who led the Nittany Lions to one of their best seasons or is leading them to one of their best seasons in recent memory. Didn't matter. Sean Clifford throws three interceptions and a loss to Minnesota. And he is getting death threats on social media, says he had to delete his account. Sean Clifford is thrown for 2,400 yards, 22 touchdowns. They are 8-1 and one and still have a shot. They beat Ohio State and everything is still out there for Penn State. Death threats. Ross Tucker, this is your backyard, Pennsylvania, I wish he would out that person. I wish you would out that person. But Sean Clifford should out that person. That person should, frankly, to me, get dragged his ass into jail. So 
number one, I'm going to disagree with you on the one thing, Dave. It seems to me, before we even get into the Clifford thing, it seems to me like people go on Twitter to show hate. Like yeah. Twitter people are, are nasty and sarcastic and all that well, it's stuff. It's people. It's people. It's not Twitter people. It's just Twitter as a vehicle. It's people in general. No, 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 no. I did. I, on Instagram, people seem to be pretty positive on Instagram. <laughs> right. That's the funniest thing I fucking. Oh, heard. I was going to agree. I get people. I, was I get people that go in my Instagram. People go in my Instagram DMs. Nice pick, asshole. And I tweet. And they go tweet me, you motherfucker. Or I block your fucking ass. So, uh, so, so, Nick, I you want to look negativity. at pictures of my fucking sneakers? You can't. How about that? Blocked. I get, I get, I get, I get a lot of negativity on Twitter, but I also that's where like I'll make comments. Instagram's more just like posting pictures and videos, obviously, but Instagram is just positivity. Like I, I don't get a lot of negativity on Instagram. That's interesting that you do. Put, put put your picks for the weekend on Instagram, and uh, we'll and uh, we'll reconvene next week. Yeah, I, I think he has a good point. I think because you post gambling information on Instagram, I would agree with Ross. It depends on the material. Most things I post are generally they don't open themselves up to that type of criticism. Although if I do post political takes, yes, that's when it gets negative. Same as your uh, picks, which probably turns negative. All right, so I want to catch you up. We have no stick to sports mantra. You, Nick Costos, get to impeach someone in professional sports. I impeach Dan Snyder. 20 years of mediocrity getting worse. Trent Williams was the cherry on top. That was the impeachable offense, not trading him, getting a first round pick. Who would you impeach in professional sports? And you, of course, are a Knicks fan. So that seems easy to me. Is there someone else you'd like to remove from office in pro sports? Well, you know, um, as it concerns the impeachment stuff with the president, I would say this, right? And this yep. is not a political comment. Um, so it, I don't, and I don't really care, honestly. I think it is a fucking waste of time because nothing's going to happen. So it's fucking irrelevant. Um, as far as the impeachment stuff goes, think about all the money and time that's being spent to quote to impeach the president of the United States when every anyone with half a fucking brain knows that he's not actually going to get impeached. Like in Dave, you kind of brilliantly detailed like the actual reasons why. Like it's. It's not happening. It's a dog and pony show. It's a whether well, you want to say, ah, oh, it's great for the American, whatever. I don't think it fucking any, whatever. People have already made up their minds one way or another. I don't think it matters. The government should take all this time and attention and all this money and all these resources and this time. And instead of focusing it on this impeachment, which is never going to happen, you know what they should do? They should turn their attention on what the fucking National Football League is doing in terms of its officiating. Now, I know that Jim Dolan would seem to be the obvious... <laughs> I know that Jim Dolan would seem to be the obvious answer for me because I'm a Knicks fan and I grew up and the Knicks were like just below the Giants for me growing up as like my second favorite team. And, you know, I remember in 94 when the Rangers won and the Knicks lost game seven to the Rockets. I, I was happy the Rangers won, but I really wanted the Knicks to win. Um, so watching my favorite basketball team be like reduced to like a steaming pile of rubble or shit, I guess would be more appropriate for me to say, given I curse all the time. I've gotten used to it at this point. Like, I don't expect the Knicks to be good. I expect them to be bad. I expect shit to go wrong. We were talking about it last night on You Better You Bet when Duke lost to Michigan State in the tournament this year and R.J. Barrett took over down the stretch and missed a million shots and Zion Williamson didn't touch the ball. I'm thinking like, fuck, the Knicks are going to end up with R.J. Barrett. The Knicks end up with R.J. Barrett. Like, it's unbelievable. So like, I'm I'm so used to it at this point. I'm numb to the Knicks being bad that it's like fucking whatever. Like, yeah, I hope Jim Dolan fucking sells the team or, you know, maybe made a little worse. But yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm past it at this point. 
<laughs> what I can't, what what I can't. Oh yeah, and I, and I and I mean it. I mean it 100%. What I what I can't, what I can't tolerate at this point in my life is what Al Riveron, this slapdick clown, fraud ass motherfucker, is doing to my favorite sport. So like, I'm past the point of caring about the Knicks. I still very much care about what's happening to officiating in the National Football League. The NFL is my favorite thing. I think I can appeal to people here when I say this. Since 1990, I've been watching the NFL obsessively on a week-in, week-out basis. It's literally, it's like my favorite thing in sport by far. And I would say it's my favorite thing outside of like the people I love and care about. It's my, my number one hobby, my number one favorite thing. I would choose it over anything. And watching what's happening on a week-in, week-out basis where it's not just it's not just annoying to see because it's insulting to common sense, the fact that like DeAndre Hopkins gets fucking stone cold stunned and and they challenge it and nothing happens. It's it's not just that that it that it's insulting like my integrity and common sense. It's hurting the integrity of the game. Like teams are the Texans lost a timeout for that. Like people may not think that's a big deal, but in like that could end up costing a team a playoff spot potentially. It's just so fucking dumb. And then how about what we saw at the end of the Cardinals Niners game? Like, this is something that, that fucked people out of money. And it's like the NFL guys thumbs its nose at gamblers and fantasy football players. No, Not one fucking person that's not a Niners fan or a Cardinals fan or gets paid to cover this shit is watching the end of Niners Cardinals on Sunday. Unless you play gambling and fantasy also. And the play that happened at the end of that game with the, car, the Niners up by three, and it's like, as a gambler, like, you hate this, because as soon as teams line up for this lateral bullshit, you know, like, the worst thing, like, the best case scenario is that the team turns it over. The worst case is that it goes back the other way. Like, that is a nightmare for gamblers, is when you have money on a team at the end of games that lines up for a lateral, because you know it's going to get fucked up and maybe brought back. Like, nine people are on top of the ball at the end of that game. The ball squirts out like a glitch in a fucking video game. The Niners bring it back for a touchdown. The spread closed at nine and a half. They win by ten. And they're like, oh, it's okay, no problem. We're not going to review it. Niners win by ten. We'll see you next week. How about this? Fuck you, Al Riveron. You fucking... There is not... I would say there may not be one person in the country that is worse at his or her job than fucking Al Riveron is at his. Fuck that guy. Because he fuck, he's fucking up my fucking favorite thing. My, like, the, the Knicks have already been taken from me. I'm done with it at this point. I still fucking care about the NFL. Fuck that guy, Al Riveron. Slapdick fucking fraud-ass clown. Stupid-ass fucking NFL. Dumb-ass pass interference rule. Insulting my intelligence and hurting the integrity of the game. And also, by the way, fucking up my fantasy team and potentially fucking up my bets. I got no time for this shit. I got no time for that clown. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
All right, we need to get in your bets before we run out of time, before we lose you for the hour. So let's get into some NFL bets for this weekend. College football, if you want to go there, but it's a hell of a week in the NFL. Some outstanding playoff-type matchups. Starts tonight, Colts and Texans. Houston minus three and a half tonight. What do you like this week? Um, In the NFL, um, for tonight's game, I think this is a really tough game to pick against the spread. If I had to pick... I would I would take the points with the Colts here, but we kind of have to see what's going to happen, right? So it's not like I, we can like bet this game right now. Like I need to know if Ty Hilton's playing. Like that severely changes the handicap of the game. Like it it, it it's trending like Ty Hilton is going to play in this game. Like that is absolutely massive if he goes in this game. And the Colts have some injury information outside of Hilton that still kind of has to be cleared up. I kind of lean towards taking the points with the Colts here, especially if Hilton's going to play. Because I think the Colts can win this game outright if Hilton's there on the field. Hilton has historically killed the Texans throughout his career. So I, I, I'm not ready to bet this game right now. If I had to, I guess I would take the points with Indianapolis. So like this is not a game that like if this game were on like a, on Sunday at one o'clock with like eight other games around it, this is not a game that I'm I'm especially excited to bet, but since you're asking me about it, I guess I'll take the points with the Colts. But again, that depends on uh, what the injury information turns out to be um, as we move closer to kickoff tonight. Um, some games I like this weekend. Lines have moved, unfortunately. So like, I don't think you can really get the best of these numbers anymore. But like, I bet the Jets as a three-and-a-half-point home underdog against the Raiders. I think that there's value in that bet. I still think there's value on the Jets as a three-point home underdog against the Raiders. I think I understand why that spread is what it is. The Jets are a bad team, but, like, have variance to potentially be a good team, and we've seen that in a number of spots this season. You know, they've looked good the last couple weeks, albeit against bad teams, but they've won two straight games. They have a quarterback who's certainly capable of really good things in Sam Darnold, and, like, I don't know. Raiders are a great story, and I think we give John Gruden a lot of credit, and Mike Mayock certainly. No matter what happens over the course of the rest of the season, they've already exceeded expectations, but I think this is too rich a price if you want to lay it with the Oakland Raiders here, and I think the public will be on the Raiders, and the public won last weekend, and you know how that works if you've ever seen the movie The Empire Strikes Back. So I will take the points with the Jets as a three-point home underdog. Monday Night Football, I like the Rams, um, but I got the Rams as a three-and-a-half-point home underdog as well. That spreads down to three against the Ravens. This is the Ravens at the absolute height of of the market, the apex right now. I guess we've said that a couple times this year, so maybe they'll shove it up my ass again. But I kind of think the Rams have some value as a three-point home underdog on um, on Monday night football. I think if the Cowboys had half a brain, if the Jason Garrett had half a brain, they would go into New England and win the game outright. Because I think the Cowboys are a better team than the Patriots. But it's hard to have a lot of trust in Jason Garrett. I know people want to hear about this game because it's the biggest game of the, of the day, and it's going to be one of only two games in that 425 p.m. Eastern window on the East Coast on an NFL Sunday. This is going to be maybe the biggest handle of the year, um, Cowboys and Patriots. I guess I would take the points with Dallas, but like again, this is not a game where there's like a, a especially strong edge to be gleaned on either side. I think there's a case to be made either way. That's what makes the NFL handicapping really difficult. Another bet, two totals that I really like as well. Um, and one of them has moved off the key number. I bet it a couple days ago, and I got 41 again. I always say on the show, this is why you need to listen to You Better You Bet throughout the week, because lines move on you know early in the week and you want to make sure you get the best of the number. 41 is one of the key numbers as it concerns totals. I think this Jaguars Titans game is going to go over and it's got it's gone up to 45 and a half and I still kind of like it here. Jaguars have major issues stopping the run. Derrick Henry is going to absolutely trample them. We saw that last year on Thursday night when he had that four-touchdown game. And I don't think this is a situation where, oh, they can run the ball and it's going to bleed the clock out, the game's going to go under. I think the Titans are going to put some points up in this game, and I think Derrick Henry is going to absolutely dominate. And and how do you attack this Titans defense? You hit them on the outside. And what does Nick Foles like to do? Throw it outside receivers. DJ Chark's quietly having like one of the best seasons a wide receiver's having in the NFL. So I really like this over 41 points. I think it's a low total in the uh, Jaguars-Titans game. And this Bucks. 
Falcons total. Interesting line movement here, guys, as far as the market's concerned. Opened around 54 and a half. It's down to 51. We saw a similar move um, a couple weeks ago. Um, in the in one of these Bucks games, and it's escaping me at the moment. But the Bucks played a game a couple weeks ago. The, oh, the Cardinals game, where it went down from 54 and a half to 51, and then around kickoff shot all the way back up. I think that we're going to see that happen again this week. This Falcons defense is getting a lot of credit right now, and I feel like it's kind of undeserved. Like, yes, they have played well the last couple weeks, but I think we have to take into account that Kyle Allen threw three interceptions inside the 10-yard line last week. So I'm not insinuating the Panthers should have won the game or the Falcons should have lost, but the game should have looked a lot different. Like, if the Falcons, if the Panthers score two of those touchdowns, I think it's a different narrative right now around this Falcons defense. Bucks are certainly capable uh, of going out there and putting up a lot of points in this game and vice versa. So, you know, how do you kill this Falcons, this Bucks defense? You throw the ball. I think it's a blow-up spot for Matt Ryan. I think this game's going to be played in the 60s. So the two totals that I like, I'll go over 51 in the Bucks and Falcons, and I'll go over 41 or 41 and a half in the Jaguars and the Titans. Yeah, so I like some of the same picks uh, that Nick made. This is a weird week for me, Dave, because I rarely take favorites. You know, for every 10 bets I make, it's probably nine of them are tend to be underdogs and unders. I don't know why, but I tend to lean towards the under and the underdogs, and it usually comes through pretty good for me. This week, I actually do like an over, and I like a couple of favorites. So the one I agree on with Nick Costos for sure, I love the Jets getting three points against the Raiders. Look, the Jets playing much better the last couple games. The Raiders beat the Bengals at home by a touchdown. Now they fly all the way across the country to play the Jets at MetLife Stadium. Arnold's playing much, much better. I think the Jets have a great chance to win the game. Jets are at home. Jets getting three points. Love the Jets there. Tonight, I think it's kind of a toss-up game between the Colts and the Texans, so... I would take the points. Don't feel as strongly about that as I do about the Jets. They were my only loss last week, Dave. But they Mm -hmm. came through the two weeks prior to that. So I'm rolling with my Dolphins again. Get it? Dolphins right here. Finkel. Einhorn is Finkel. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel Finkel is is Einhorn. Um, Such a good movie, by the way. Costos. These millennials, dude, I tell you what, they're, they're ruining the step. world. They're yeah, these, these millennials are ruining the world. They really are. We should get rid of all of them. Um, we don't need them. Just skip right on. What's the next generation after millennials? Just skip it. Um, I like the Dolphins getting 10.5 points against the Browns. Why not? I don't, you know, the Browns just lost their best player. He's kind of their best player in Miles Garrett. And they got all this negativity surrounding them. And, oh, and the discipline. And no Ogan Joby either, who's like one of their top three defensive players probably, along with maybe Schobert and Denzel Ward. Yeah, that's a problem. They're missing both those guys in this game. That's a big freaking problem. Give me the Dolphins. Give me the points. Thank you. Um, other games I like. Here are the two favorites I like. I like... The Atlanta Falcons laying four and a half points against the Bucs. Look, I'm believing what I'm seeing from the Falcons the last couple weeks. They've been awesome. Awesome. And I think that they're trying to win for DQ. Win for Dan Quinn. By the way, blizzards are awesome. That's just as an aside. Blizzards are so good. 
I might have a blizzard at the airport if they have anything like that. Speaking of DQ, so freaking good, man. Blizzards anyway, are unreal. yeah, they're, they're so good. Falcons laying four and a half. The Falcons defense has been on a tear. They're going against the human turnover machine known as Jameis Winston. What are the odds they don't get at least two or three turnovers? Um, not real good. Give me the Falcons laying the four and a half. I love the under in the Steelers-Bengals game. How are the Bengals going to score? On the road against the Steelers with Ryan Finley still as quarterback with a terrible arm, they're not scoring points. Meanwhile, for the Steelers, Mason Rudolph still their starting quarterback. That's not good. They scored seven points last game. Not only that, their best or at least most important offensive lineman, Marquise Pouncey, he's not playing. That doesn't help. Doesn't help you win. Certainly doesn't help you score points. So love the under 39 in the Steelers and the Bengals. I actually would take the Cowboys and the points, the six and a half against the Patriots. I know you typically lose betting against the Patriots. The Cowboys are good. I would not be surprised if the Cowboys win that game outright. If they don't, it's primarily coaching. And, oh, the other favorite I love, love the Ravens, laying three against the Rams. The Rams are not good. The Ravens are the best team in football by a decent margin right now. They're not just going to go beat the Rams. They're going to beat the Rams down. I'll gladly lay those three points. Go Lamar Jackson. Go Ravens. They're going to smash Jared Goff and the crew. Washington has just that that one measly win, and they don't look like they've got another win in them the rest of the way. So how dysfunctional is that organization? I took Dan Snyder as the one figure in professional sports that should be impeached, removed from office. He leads our poll at RDC Home and Home, where we sit right now. James Dolan is second. Al Riveron certainly in the running there as well. But a good story on 106.7 The Fan, trying to explain just how dysfunctional the organization is, in particular when it comes to the relationship between Dan Snyder, my impeachable subject, and Bruce Allen, who continues to run this organization into the ground with Snyder, and what goes on behind the scenes. Listen to it as, as it was told on 106.7 The Fan. It's a big thing at Redskins Park. If you're kind of in Dan's inner circle, you're one of his golf buddies, you get to go play I say a round of golf with him, but really you just get to go putt with him in his office. The story is just that he used to, at certain times, like come out of his office, upset, screaming about where Bruce was because Bruce was, Bruce was late for tea time. Bruce was late for his tea time. So he'd be like, where's Bruce? And everyone's like, I don't, what do you mean, where's Bruce? He's like, he's supposed to be in here. We've got a, a three o'clock tea time. It's like 306. So he's like yelling and cursing at people. <laughs> he's like, I need Bruce. We're, we're supposed to be playing right now. It's like Bruce has to then be notified that he's late for his tea time and come running into the Dan's office and they go play their golf. All we all want is confirmation and evidence of what we already know. These two, Tweedledee and Tweedle Evil, are not entitled and should not be running any operation, let alone a football team that millions of people care about. These two goobers, these two uh, discarded candies, these gobstoppers, these jackasses, these platoons do not get anything. This is the kind of crap. These shenanigans I just are the love priority. the idea, I will say, 
of a very frustrated and annoyed Dan on like a Thursday at Redskins Park, storming out of his office, asking if anyone's seen Bruce because he's late for putt-putt. Now, do they have like a bunch of holes set up? (laughs) Is it just one hole? I don't really know, but they have these appointments. He's got a tea time! Dan Snyder will be upset and Bruce will leave what he's doing. Imagine this. Because he's late for his tea time. Do people understand this? Like, hey, we got to talk about this, uh, this linebacker. At LSU, and he's like, hang on, guys. I have a tea time with the big man. So he goes and hauls ass and goes and plays his (laughs) golf in Dan's office and goes back and does whatever he does. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? And the rest of us are going, he's never getting fired. Because someone's got to play around with old Dan. Someone's got to be his friend. He's his bought and paid for friend. It's so ridiculous. 1067 The Fan in DC, Grant and Danny breaking down an unbelievable story about the dysfunction between Dan Snyder and Bruce Allen. Boy, would I love to see whatever the hell golf course, putt-putt course exists in Dan Snyder's office, but this actually makes sense to you, huh, Ross? I was not surprised when I heard this story because when I was there, and I was there twice, but when I was there, um, it was kind of known Uh, And I had heard the story from multiple people that Dan Snyder and longtime GM at that point, Vinny Serrato, that they had a similar relationship to what Dan Snyder, I guess, sounds like he has now with Bruce Allen, except they would play racquetball with each other and they would play racquetball a lot and they would like talk shit to each other. They would like talk trash to each other and people would hear them saying like, take that Dan. No, screw you Vinny or whatever. Right. Like, I I don't know. I just, I heard this secondhand from multiple people that they had legendary racquetball matches, I guess they're called. And that they would very loudly talk trash to each other and sort of, um, the way I've kind of broken that down, Dave, and I get it. I know people like this. I'm not, I don't even know if I'm being critical. I'm just kind of psychoanalyzing here. The sense I get is that Daniel Snyder kind of wanted to be the jock in high school, you know, kind of wanted to be the big football, basketball guy, jock, and, you know, talk trash and, be that kind of guy. And I I don't think he was. And so I think the closest way he's been able to accomplish that was having the tremendous business success to be able to then buy the Redskins. And then he kind of gets it in some way, shape or form through these competitive outlets like racquetball with Vinny Serrato and evidently putt, putt golf with Bruce Allen, but he really craves that. He craves that competition. He craves that camaraderie. He craves that sort of um, macho involvement, trash talking. Like that's that's evidently what he wants and what he likes. And I think perhaps that's one reason for the loyalty he's had to some of his right-hand men. And that just nails to a T the dysfunction that exists within that organization, why it's hard to find any organization worse 
top to bottom in the NFL. What a dumpster fire they have been and will continue to be as long as Dan Snyder continues to run the organization. Again, number one, most impeachable figure in all of uh, professional sports. Brad Evans from Yahoo Sports. Good to see you. It's Dave Briggs. It's Ross Tucker. We were talking about Twitter trolls and sports and Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback, who was receiving death threats on Twitter after the loss to Minnesota. I told Ross nobody handles Twitter trolls quite like Brad Evans. Clear, clear it up for us. How? What is your approach with the Twitter trolls that come after you each and every fantasy football or gambling weekend? Yeah, I, look, uh, it's got to be water off the back. Uh, there are a lot of people out there. They're keyboard warriors. They're hiding behind this facade. They act all tough. But, you know, once you kind of cut them down to size, they go have a beer with you. I mean, the first and foremost, what you got to have in your arsenal is a boatload of snark. Uh, if they dish it out to you, you got to spin it right back at them, throw the mud, and make it as snarky as humanly possible. Because not only is it humbling for the person on the receiving end, it's highly entertaining for your Twitter audience. It can build engagement. So it's something that can be very beneficial in the end. But yes, snark is the key. Uh, and you just, you know, again, got to take everything with a grain of salt and not take anything too seriously. Once you start taking stuff too seriously, then that is, uh, in my opinion, the point of no return. All right, so Brad, I've thought of this before. I might have asked this before. But do you think that there should be some mechanism whereby pass interference is involved in fantasy calculations? Because there's a lot of pass interference penalties. Some of them are big yardage. Some of them, like the DeAndre Hopkins one, aren't even called. That's a whole other story. But there are guys, like over the years... Torrey Smith, I think, used to get 500 yards a year in pass interference penalties. Do you think that that should somehow be factored into fantasy calculations? No. I mean, it's just part of the game. It sucks. Uh, there's no other way to you know, describe it, no way to really mince words about it. Uh, it's just one of those uh, instances in, in the virtual game where you hope you're on the right side of it and you can benefit in some capacity. You know, We've all benefited from a PI call in the end zone where the running back then gets the ball at the one yard line and punches it in for six. Uh, so that's been a positive repercussion of, uh, of such a circumstance. But yeah, I mean, I don't know how you would score it. I mean, maybe you get like a half a point. It's almost like a reception. If uh, a PI is called uh, against your player or on your player, I guess uh, if it is like an OPI call, I guess you could uh, have a minus half a point reduction so that could be a negative. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think it's it's something that would overcomplicate the game uh, if you were to quantify it. But I, I just accept it for what it is, and that is a whole lot of inconsistency in how that is called. <laughs> Let's bring in our friend Mike Fisher, 105.3 The Fan in Dallas. Good to see you, Fish. What's going on, man? Well, we got uh, a marquee game uh, involving one team that knows it's going to win and – one fan base, I think, in DFW that's wondering how in the world the Cowboys possibly win. All right. So, Fish, why aren't the Cowboys better? I mean, I'm watching the Red Zone Sunday, and all the games were blowouts at 1 o'clock, except for the Cowboys against Jeff Driscoll and the Lions. MVP quarterback, all-pro running back, stud receivers, 
great offensive line. Demarcus Lawrence, Robert Quinn, Lane Vander as Jalen Smith. Why are the Cowboys not better? First of all, I read your fine piece uh, as part of my research for this program. So I'm very familiar with your work. Uh, and I give you one of two explanations. One, all those accolades that you just read off, that's it's just a bunch of hype that that we overrate the Cowboys. And I know we do in this town. Every year in this town, we do it. Maybe that's the result of Jerry being the greatest hype man of all time. Or the other maybe more logical solution is look at all these games in which they've been one play away. They lose to New Orleans 12 to 10 at New Orleans. That's that's one play away, uh, one stop away, one tackle away, one completion away. The loss of the Jets, Michael Gallup will tell you, maybe his three drops had something to do with that. Michael Gallup is a standout receiver, maybe even a potential number one kind of receiver someday, but he was awful on that particular day uh, against Green Bay. One play would have done it. So I think that's a really good working theory is that this is a very talented team with a guy who I thought in Dak Prescott, I thought if, if he's good, they'll be great. Because I thought what you thought about the roster, and of course it's been the other way around. He's been great, and the rest of them have been, oh, pretty good. Had they been one play better, this team would have an even better record than six and four. So uh, let's fast forward a little bit here, uh, Fish. As you know, I live outside of Philadelphia, so I don't know what's going to happen in the Seattle game, but everybody already believes one way or the other it's coming down to that Week 16 matchup with the Cowboys and the Eagles. Let's say the Cowboys don't get it done. And let's say Jerry Jones elects to move on from Jason Garrett. You know, he's not under contract after this year and it's time for Jerry to move on. Do you think he'd go more with like an established NFL head coach, more of a NFL coordinator type, more of the college type? Cause Dave and I were talking earlier and the way the offense is playing, I almost, like, do you bring in Lincoln Riley? Like, I mean, I don't know if Lincoln Riley is a great game management coach. His defenses stink. I, what do you bring Lincoln Riley in to do? Be the same thing Kellen Moore already is? What direction do you think Jerry and the Cowboys would go if it comes to that? I've seen some people say that Lincoln Riley, that's just, just that obvious and that easy. And I've countered by saying, first of all, he has a friendship with Stephen Jones uh, and he's regional. Those are the only two real connections. Uh, I've seen some people say that there's probably a short list. There shouldn't be a short list, and, and there isn't. There's a long list. And every NFL owner and general manager needs to have a filing cabinet this deep with names in it and ideas in it. But I think we should be open-minded, first of all. Um, well, let, first of all, we should be closed-minded about Jason Garrett's future. If they don't get over some sort of premium hump in the postseason, this year, Jason Garrett will not be the head coach next year. So I think you can close that argument. I, I think that's pretty solid. The open-mindedness comes with this old story. So this is 1990, I think. And I'm sitting in Jerry Jones's outer office. And they had just let go of Dave Shula, I believe. So Jimmy Johnson's team needed an offensive coordinator. And Jerry comes out to his uh, long-suffering secretary, Marilyn Love, and says, can you get somebody to bring me a a Los Angeles Rams um, press packet, a media guide. And he wanted to look at the media guide and figure out how in the world do you pronounce the first name of this guy named Norval Turner? Who is Norval Turner? All I know is we're going to interview him. 
And of course, Norval Turner is Norv Turner. And the Cowboys interview him and he became one of the greatest offensive coordinators, maybe of all time, in the way he uh, helped engineer and work with Aikman, Emmett and Irvin. So the, my point is that sometimes these things just kind of come on you and, and they come on you in a way that, first of all, I think Norv was the fourth choice that year for, to be the offensive coordinator. They went through the other guys. And second of all, they hired him without barely knowing how to pronounce his name. <laughs> That's a good story to sum that all up. Another guy that people are still learning his name, and this is our last question, is Luka Doncic. And is he the best player in the NBA? Last night, 25 minutes. He pulls a triple-double, 35 points, 10 points, 11 boards. He is 20 years old. Is he the number one player in the NBA at 20? Well, he was the best rookie last year. He'll be an all-star for sure this year. And if the Mavericks have a good record, and right now they're 9-5 and five as we speak, uh, he'll be an MVP candidate. Here's the beauty of his numbers. And, and we, we wrote about this this morning. You can find me on social media at Fish Sports. It's not just the, the volume of points or the efficiency of shooting, uh, or the grit in rebounding, because that triple-double, that, that's, that involves a lot of things. It's the unselfishness. There's, uh, there's other players in NBA history who can go and score at will without bothering to pass the ball, because that's how they score. <clears throat> Kobe Bryant. <clears throat> Kobe. <laughs> this guy does it with unselfishness. This guy's points and shots come largely within the flow of unselfishness. And Coach Rick Carlisle said that last night, that that's what makes this unique, is he's not disrupting the game of other scores. He's not disrupting the game of other potential scores. It's all within the flow of this offense. And it is a gorgeous thing to watch. For those of us who are Mavericks fans and followers and media too, what an incredible treat. Dirk leaves, Luca comes, and we don't even have to suffer a gap in between. Hey everybody, it's Ross Tucker. Thanks for listening to the Home and Home Podcast. Remember, you can watch or listen live every day from 8 to 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time exclusively on the Radio.com app or on the web at Radio.com slash home. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.